The Rural Health Voice, Episode 73, VRHA Leadership, Part 2. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What can we do to emphasize the positive aspects of rural living? Laura Hunt Troll, current president of the Virginia Rural Health Association, joined me to discuss health leadership in our rural communities. Welcome, Laura. Thank you, Beth. So you you are, as you know, the current president of the Virginia Rural Health Association, but what's your day job? Oh, my day job is I currently am social work faculty at James Madison University. And actually this summer, I will transition out of that role into research faculty at the Center for Rural Health Research at East Tennessee State University. And why are you interested in rural health issues? Well, I am rural. Um, I, where I grew up as a very young person, um, the area that I grew up in was rural. Um, We had a horse farm at the end of the road, and um, it was sort of bucolic, sweet setting. And as I grew up, um, it kind of got gobbled up by the burbs. Um, And uh, after that, we we mostly, I I graduated from high school and um, really didn't go back. And so I've been in Virginia most of the time um, since graduating from high school in rural areas. And I love it. I intentionally chose this for myself, for my family. Um, I like um, living in a small town where people know each other. Um, I feel like I go to a festival in our town where they close down the street. I know half the people there. Um, My children run amok. And um, if I don't see them to tell them to stop, somebody else I know will. Um, So there's just a collective in rural areas that's important to me and that I treasure. Um, But I'm disturbed by the disparities um, in health and healthcare in rural areas um, that people I know and care about have to go so far to get treatment for addiction or mental health support or comprehensive dental care is really concerning to me. And so I am very interested in some of the creative and innovative ways that rural people are proposing to solve those problems. And how did you first learn about the Virginia Rural Health Association? I first learned about the Virginia Rural Health Association uh, when I transitioned into an academic role at James Madison University. I resurrected a course that hadn't been taught in many years called Rural Health and Interprofessional Approach um, because that was in my area of interest and um, research. And I started, um, as part of the course, students came to volunteer at remote area medical clinics. And so I continued volunteering with RAM. I have volunteered with them for about 20 clinics, I'd say. And I've served as a community host group lead for the Harrisonburg Clinic in 2019 and 2021, and also the upcoming clinic in Luray, Virginia, in July of 2022. And as part of that course, and in the beginning I used a textbook, but when I became a member of the Virginia Rural Health Association, um, it's a very affordable membership, and I still maintain it is the only weekly email that I actually read every week. 
Um, so instead of a textbook for my course, I required students to join the association for a student membership, which is only $15 for the year, much cheaper than a textbook. And we used that monthly, or excuse me, that weekly email as uh, their textbook because it's chock full of information and uh, reports, statistics, announcements, funding opportunities, um, awards, recognitions, just full of information about rural health, both on the national level and in Virginia. And so I started attending the conference. Um, I had a student who had a poster at the conference one year. I um, presented my own research at the conference one year. I've come to do um, speaking engagements with the association and so transitioned into the board because at that time they did not have a social worker on the board and social workers play a huge role in rural health. And, um, and then eventually joined the board, became the vice president. Um, now I am the president and it seems that the association cannot get rid of me. <laughs> Sooner or later you will term out. That's what they say. And I, I will stick in one correction. Our student memberships are only $10, so way more affordable than a textbook. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I, yes, I, I, $10. There's, there is no even used old version of a textbook for $10. So I'm grateful. And it's just as good, if not better, than a textbook. From your perspective, what do you consider to be some of VRHA's successes? I really admire the way VRHA has grown in a steady, measured, intentional way. Um, we have gently expanded to be more and more inclusive, to have a broader and bolder interpretation of health and well-being. VRHA brings an attitude that I admire to the work, which is saying yes whenever we can, uh, finding ways to support the grassroots efforts that are already going on, um, mobilizing our resources, utilizing our network, kind of bringing our own assets to bear on the challenges of rural health, knowing that we didn't invent this and we probably don't even have the solutions to it. Um, but what we do have is the commitment to really being there, really supporting the efforts that are going on, saying yes to collaborations and opportunities when we can, um, and even when we're not sure if we can. Um, there's just a level of commitment to broad and bold interpretations of rural health and wellness. And I believe that through that steady commitment, we are moving the needle on health equity in rural areas. And what challenges do you see for VRHA in the future? I think the challenges for VRHA are, are really not, not different than challenges in rural areas. Um, we have a small but mighty staff that does a whole lot with um, limited resources in the middle of a pandemic that disproportionately affected rural communities, communities of color, et cetera. And, um, you know, prioritizing those resources, deciding how we focus our energy. Um, we do not have unlimited resources of any kind. And so prioritizing those are some of our challenges. Um, I also think that it's a misconception that rural areas are not innovative or progressive. However, 
they do maybe hold on a little more tightly to some of their roots and history. And sometimes we are asking them to think about things differently or asking them to face challenges in different ways or asking them to think more broadly or boldly about something. And because rural folks really treasure and value their history, that's not always a comfortable thing to do. And so balancing that paradox of having some innovative and interesting solutions and also treasuring our past and our history, I think is a a dicey walk that many rural organizations or anyone attempting to sort of move things forward into equitable territory um, may struggle to do. And we talk a lot about rural disparities, not only regarding health and health care, but other areas such as transportation and broadband and employment. But you've been outspoken about the need for people to acknowledge the strengths of rural communities. Can you tell me more about that? Yes, I would love to tell you more about that. Um, It is very easy to get caught up in the statistics um, about, oh, you know, high school graduation rates or uh, cancer um, mortality rates or... um, maternal and infant mortality rates in rural areas, because those numbers are are just not as good. They're just not. Um, But statistics is not just the data. It's also what you value about the data. And so there are a lot of things that rural areas do well, uh, perhaps better than their urban counterparts. And I wish that we would spend a little bit more time um, lifting that up and um, capitalizing on that. So um, something that you see in rural areas that is far stronger um, in just about any way that you can measure it than in urban or um, even suburban areas is sense of community and sense of community responsibility. So um, rural people tend to feel more loyalty and commitment to their um, their village, their community, their county than urban people. They feel a sense of responsibility for caring for others. They are more likely to notice um, their neighbors are in need and are more likely to mobilize some resources to address those needs. Uh, rural people tend to be creative problem solvers um, there is sort of a pull ourselves by our bootstraps mentality. And sometimes that's framed as a challenge. Um, You know, get out of our county, get out of our town. Don't tell us what to do. We don't need you, you know, you city folk. And that is one way of framing that attitude. But the other way is just the creative, innovative, interesting ways in which rural people solve problems, work together, care for their community, feel a responsibility for others. And so if we can find a way to continue to amplify and bring those strengths to bear on these equity challenges that we are struggling with, um, I really feel like we're on to some creative and culturally relevant, when you consider rural culture to be a culture, which I do, uh, ways of responding to some of these challenges and, and meeting these challenges so that we can move forward in achieving health and wellness um, for rural folks. I can see the point of emphasizing the positive, but 
every grant application I write has a section where I'm asked to justify the need for funding. How can I focus on rural assets and still communicate the need? That's a really good question. And that's a really good criticism of any strengths-based approach is that focusing on the strengths minimizes, you know, the real challenges and problems. So I think it's about balance. Um, we do have challenges in rural areas. We do, and we can point to them with statistics or we can, um, you know, sit across the table from someone and hear about their experience. I think it's also just including the assets, including the strengths in the narrative to say, um, this is not a community that is waiting for someone to sweep, swoop in and save us. Uh, we have a lot of resources to bring to bear on this. The need is for you to help us find the bridge to be able to bring those resources to bear on this challenge. So it's, it's really, it's not that there's a void here and we need you to come in and fix it. It's that we need you to help us find the ways to connect what we have with the challenges that we want to overcome. And you talked about the class that you have with your JMU students. How do you impress the importance of rural health upon them, even if they're from an urban area? Why should they care? Well, usually the students who have joined my class already care in some way because they have elected to take this course. So they already are you know, in some way engaged. Um, but even if they're not, or even if it's not been their personal experience, there is a social work commitment to justice. It, social justice is one of our core values. And a lot of people are not necessarily aware of the rural health disparities if they have not had a personal connection to that. So as soon as I kind of begin telling the story, whether it's a narrative story or they see it for themselves at a clinic or uh, we're looking at data, they begin to connect with the fact that being able to determine your life expectancy by your zip code is a justice issue. And they do have a personal and professional commitment to that. How can current rural health leaders, such as yourself, such as myself, do more to encourage students to become part of the next generation of rural health leaders? Um, gosh, I think that comes back to our assets conversation as well. So there are, I went to a rural social work conference many years back. And, um, you know, I, at this point, solidly qualify as middle-aged and um, did so at that time as well. And I was probably the youngest person at the conference by a couple of decades. And I, um, I heard a lot of negatives. I heard a lot of oh, we don't have any transportation. Oh, we don't have any resources. Oh, it's so challenging to work here. Oh, you have dual relationships all over the place. Oh, you can't even go out to the Applebee's without running into, you know, folks that you support at work or, you know, oh, and, and I, it was so um, focused on the negatives. Why would any, we have out-migration. Everybody graduates. If they graduate high school at all, they leave. If they don't graduate, they stay here and make problems. You know, there was sort of this attitude. And um, I thought, well, why would anyone come live in your town if you talk <laughs> like this? Because, um, and that's just not my experience. Yes, we do tend to have an aging population in rural areas. Yes, there are some big challenges without migration. But um, 
you know, I got my first apartment in a rural area on my entry-level social worker salary, and I got a two-bedroom apartment all by myself and paid the bill by myself. I know very, very few students who can graduate college and do that in an urban or metro area. And so selling the cost of living, um, you know, people, oh, there's nothing to do in rural areas. You've got to be kidding me. There's so much to do in rural areas. You just have to change the way you tell that story. There's hiking forever and there's rivers all over the place. You can kayak, you can swim, you can, um, not in beyond the outdoor activities. We, where do you think they grow the grapes for wine? Um, you know, the farm breweries that are out there and the music scene, there's so much rich culture and history and interesting things to do that young people are excited about. But I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing about, um, you know, the hot nightclub in the, you know, outskirts of Washington, D.C. to go to. But I'm not really hearing the story about, hey, this is a great place to live. This is a great place to establish yourself. I also think that um, getting a job in a rural area, whether you're in healthcare, like nursing or nurse practitioner or um, um if you're in residency for maybe your um, medical degree in a rural area, or if you're a social worker or a respiratory therapist, um, your money goes a little further. It really does. And um, there are just so many opportunities for you to be creative. In my first job, I was the only social worker there. And there was one other employee in the whole agency. Um, You know, I was like the chief assistant to the executive and also the lead garbage taker outer. But what was really interesting about that working in a small rural agency is very rarely did I get told I couldn't do something. I wanted to join that task force, go ahead. There wasn't a whole bunch of people with seniority who were ahead of me to do that. There were so many opportunities and so many ways that I could take advantage of those opportunities and be creative. And people welcomed me. And I just you know, there wasn't the hierarchy, there weren't the barriers in place that I think we see in some cases in urban areas or in metro areas. And so sometimes we just need to tell this story. We need to show people that rural can be fun and exciting and interesting and a great place to set up your shop. Uh, You know, it doesn't have to be sort of this barren wasteland of um, aging, crotchety people. So do you have chief garbage taker outer on your resume? Um, Yes, I do. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. All right. So the last question, the question I ask all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? It's hard to pick one thing. I'll give you two. Pick two. All right. Well, one thing I think would be fun and interesting is I would create some sort of exchange program so that, um, and there, this exists a little bit with, you know, residency opportunities or traveling nurses, but some sort of program where you could spend, I don't know, three months uh, working in your exact same roles, but in a rural setting. And so people could experience it, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, could see what it's like to be in a rural area because there's a lot of stereotypes. There's a lot of misconceptions. Um, there's a lot of things we have to work on too. Uh, but I would really, I would love to see, you know, an urban teacher come, come teach in a rural area for three months. What is that like? Compare, contrast, where, where can we lo- grow and learn? Um, 
but you know, and of course, beyond that, into healthcare, um, bring a addiction specialist into a rural area to um, provide treatment for the folks who are struggling with, you know, substance use disorder in our areas. And I really feel like we might see some good things come from that awareness in more than one way. So that would be like my magical exchange program. Um, another thing, I think, I don't know, I think that would be my most fun answer, but um, I would like to see somehow the connection between healthcare and economic justice. And there's sort of a lot of different ways that we can interpret that, whether it be the challenge of being a small business, uh, whether in a rural area or urban area, but um, being a small business and staying alive, you know, trying to offer comprehensive health insurance as a small business is is very challenging and, and not offering that is a sure way to not be staffed. Um, or maybe it's a, a minimum wage threshold or a minimum hours threshold. Um, we see lots of underemployed folks who are kind of cobbling together um, enough hours to maybe pay their bills, you know, through three different jobs, but um, none of those are coming with with benefits or paid sick leave and so forth. So I'd like to see that and and see that relationship to that those economic challenges and healthcare. Um, we saw so many people leave the workforce during the pandemic because of their caregiving responsibilities, whether that be for children or for um, aging parents, for example. And folks are making those economic decisions for caregiving which is also having an impact on their health, their mental health. Um, and so kind of some way to make that economic justice, health equity connection in a way that would be um, solution focused, I think would be another way that, another dream of mine uh, that I think would make a dent in some of the health disparities we see in rural areas. Certainly, healthcare and economic development and education and infrastructure are so intertwined. You, you really can't deal with one without dealing with the whole picture. Yep, I think you're right. Well, thank you, Laura. Really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you for having me. That's Laura Hunt Troll advocating for increased awareness of rural communities and connection between the rural economy and rural health. For more discussion on rural health issues, save the date for the upcoming Virginia Public Health Association Conference. It will be held March 26th in Blacksburg. Topics will include substance use, COVID in rural communities, food insecurity, telehealth, and more. For details and registration, visit vrha.org and click the event listing on the right side of the page. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.